So I'll take a second to thank the band. Um, how did I know that would get an additional comment? Um, my name is Josh, and I want to welcome you here if, if this is your first time or if we've never met. Um, we are in the final week of... Um, a look at uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, and uh, this is one of the the defining um, doctrines of the Christian faith. And so, um, if you were to uh, Wikipedia Christianity, um, this would be one of the things that you would find in your in-depth research through Wikipedia about Christians: is this belief in the Trinity. This is a uh, a common belief amongst um, all the denominations is something that we all agree on. Uh, there's actually a lot of things we agree on. And um, it's easy to nitpick and to be, uh, you know, if you're not Baptist, then you're wrong, you know, or whatever. And there's plenty of that out there um, that does not exist here in our church. Um, and, and so I, I just, I don't know, I think we agree a whole lot more than we act like and, and whatever. And so... Um, this is one of those things that if you were to get uh, a bunch of Christians together in a room, this would be something that everybody would say they agree with, um, but it's maybe not, not something we all necessarily understand. And so we've just taken a couple of weeks and just decided that we would go through and kind of break it down as best we can. And um, It is one of those things that uh, if you, like, you really can't understand it fully, and so there's definitely a degree of mystery involved and, and a whole lot of faith on our part, um, and so we're, we're, this is what we're going to do tonight, we're going to, uh, if I can learn to speak, um, we're going to uh, summarize the, the, the three main points, and then we're going to start to look at some misunderstandings of the Trinity, um, and through looking at uh, our misunderstandings, maybe it can, can clarify a few of the things that we want to understand, and so um, I'm going to just kind of jump around a couple places in, in the scriptures, but if you would, go ahead and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 28. We're going to throw a few other ones up on the, on the old screen. Um, this is where we're going to land. Now we've been looking at a series of three statements that kind of summarize what, it, what the Trinity means. And uh, these are the beliefs that uh, our ch early church fathers were trying to preserve. And it's one of those things where, like, we just need, we need a term. We need something that can articulate this well. And so these are the, the ideas that were trying to be communicated. Now, on, on the way in, you should have, have been uh, greeted and hugged. Uh, maybe you weren't hugged, but hopefully you were greeted. And handed a sheet of paper and had some announcements on it and stuff. Um, on the back side, uh, we put the notes from the... the the three main points and stuff like that from the last couple of weeks, and then some of the stuff from last week on there, because um, it's one of those things where we kind of go really quickly, and it's, if you're a note taker, it's kind of frustrating, and you end up trying to write down, and you end up missing a lot of stuff, so, um, and we'll do the same thing next, uh, next week, I think. Um, I won't be here, so figure out how that's going to work, but um, anyway, so uh, these points are, are on there, and we just kind of have mashed them into one statement that we're going to put up on the screen, and so this is, these are the beliefs uh, of the Trinity. There's one true God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, each of whom are fully and equally God. Now put whom, is that correct? English teachers? Thank you, Miss Malone. Uh, she'll be happy if you ever run into her, if you know who I'm talking about. All right. There's one true God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, each of whom are fully and equally God. Now, those are the three points that are on, on your sheet, kind of the first three main bullet points. And these are the basic ideas of the Trinity. Um, the, the, the first one, and we're going to put some verses up here just so you can kind of see where this is coming from. These are, there's one verse for each point or one passage, but there are many, many passages that confirm this uh, all throughout Scripture. 
the, the first, first point that there's one true God, uh, this is one example in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, this is from the Shema. Uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, if you stop right there, um, this, is, this is meaning that, that He is, is the one and only. And, and all throughout the Old Testament, you'll read where God is trying to um, communicate to His people in the midst of cultures that are, are worshiping all kinds of gods, they're worshiping nature, they're worshiping animals, they're worshiping the Pharaoh, they're worshiping stuff that they don't even know about, so they just carve a face and they worship that just so they don't miss one. They're surrounded by that, that belief system, and so he's trying to let them know that, look, there is no God but me. I'm the one and only, the only one. So um, every day, this is the first prayer that, that uh, the, the Israelites would pray, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Next verse uh, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, so- with all your soul, with all your might. And I think that's all I told him to put. Um, and so, so here's this, the one and only God, and the, the commandment was that you are to love him with everything that you have. So they began every day with this reminder that there, there is only one true God, and we are to love him with every bit of our being. Okay, so the first part of the statement, that there is one true God, um, you know, a lot of people are, are on board with that. Um, the second, second part of the statement, um, in addition to the fact that there's one true God, um, this one true God eternally exists in three distinct persons. In uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so um, here you have, the, you have one God, but he exists in three persons. And we kind of picked that apart. Um, they're persons because uh, they, they, uh, they think, they feel, they act, they speak. They, um, they're not impersonal forces, you know. Uh, I was listening to a sermon the other day, and it says, you know, gravity is a force. Electricity is a force. Um, God is not, that those, and those things are impersonal. God's not a force. God is, is a, a person. And so they eternally exist, meaning that at no point, was, was there just, you know, like the father, and then he was like, okay, well, let me create the son, you know, and, uh, you know, after, you know, 100,000 years of existing by himself, it was like, I'm kind of lonely, let me make a, a son, so boom, there's Jesus, and then a little while later, they're like, hey, let's make the Holy Spirit. They have all existed uh, from the very, very beginning, okay, and they are distinct, and their distinctions show up in, in like, very special ways. Um, they have unique personalities. They, um, they have uh, very distinct roles. Um, we looked last week at, at the roles that we see in creation, how it's God the Father that is uh, kind of the, the visionary behind things. And so he says, let there be light. And then the Son goes and he creates the light. And then the Spirit is there sustaining and manifesting the presence of God within the light. And, and as you go through the creation account, that's what happens. The Father says, let this happen, and the Son actually goes and does it, and the Spirit is there making sure that the presence of God is, is everywhere. And uh, it says that he was kind of hovering over the waters. And so these are the verses that say that in Genesis chapter 1, um, the uh, most read verse in my Bible, because every year I start over, um, and I make it to about Genesis 1, verse 11. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, that's talking about God the Father. Um, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, so God's, God the Father is creating, the Spirit is hovering. We see in verse 3, and God said, that's the Father, let there be light, and there was light. So the Spirit is hovering, God is saying, let there be light, and so someone is creating the light, and then we see in Colossians chapter 1 exactly who that was. Uh, this is speaking of Jesus it's for by him, and if you look at it in context, you know it's talking about Jesus. I'm not just making this up. Uh, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So God says, let there be light. Jesus goes and makes the light. Spirit maintains the presence of God in the light. Um, and that's kind of, of, that's one example of how their roles are different that there is, there is a hierarchy of sorts uh, within the Trinity, um, that the, the Father, uh, in general, He is the one who plans, and He is the one who sends the Son and the Spirit, and the Son listens to the Father, and whatever the Father says to do, He goes and, and He does it. 
And then sometimes the Father and the Son send the Spirit to go and respond and to take care of needs, however that might look. And that is, is how they do it. And the reason why um, that submission is not weird is because the Lord our God is one. Because the Son and the Spirit and the Father are all on the same page. That there's true equality and true unity there. And so the Father wouldn't say, uh, let there be light. And the Son's like, why? Why light? Why do we got to start with light? And the Spirit's not like hovering over the water and be like, come on guys, <laughs> do something. They're all on the same page. They understand the big picture. There's real unity and equality. And that brings us to the third point. That while this one God exists in three distinct persons, and he always has, that each of those persons is fully and equally God. That there's hierarchy when it comes to the roles that they play, and they submit to one another, but it's because they are all fully and equally God. That God the Father is just as much God as God the Son, and just as much as God the Spirit. And so it's, it's, it's one of those things we, we kind of struggle to understand a little bit, that there's... There's unity, but yet there's distinction among them. But this, this, the distinction works because of the unity that is there and the equality that is there. And if you look in uh, Matthew 28, where I ask you to turn, we see this, this full equality as laid out. As Jesus is about to, um, you know, he's, Jesus has left heaven, come to earth, lived, died, been resurrected, hung around for 40 days, and now he's about to... Um, Go to the Father, and um, these are like his parting words, and this is what he tells them, um, verse 19, Matthew 28, says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It says to baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Those, the, the three persons of the Trinity are, are equally mentioned all throughout the New Testament. And there are, are, are times when it's, it's all about Jesus, you know, and it's, or it's all about the Father, but, but consistently they're all put on the same level by the writers of Scripture, inspired by God. And so, and so we see that, that there's full deity and equal deity in each of them. So, there's one God. Now let's, let's put that statement back up. There's one true God who eternally exists, okay, from the beginning of time all the way to the end, um, eternally exists in three distinct persons, each of whom are equally and fully God. Okay, and that's what the Trinity is. That's, that's the short explanation of, of the Trinity. Um, it's one of those things that, that we, it's, it's almost like you can, you can understand it, and then your mind just explodes. You know, it's like... Uh, it's, it's like, I kind, of, I kind of think I'm starting to get it. And then, like, you try to take one more step, and you're like, oh, okay, that was bad. And it's supposed to be that way. I mean, that, to, to me, and maybe it's just my opinion, that doesn't make it ridiculous. You know, it doesn't make it absurd. It doesn't, I don't feel foolish for saying, like, I put all of my faith and my entire life in this God who is one, but he's three, but he's one, but he's three, but he's one. And so we kind of, we've been exploring the, how does unity and distinction happen, you know, and, and how does equality, but yet submission within, you know, how does that work? And, and, and what are the implications from, for us? And, and the big, the big idea that, that God has just kind of had us sitting on is the fact that um, we are told by God, he tells us, he says, basically, he says, be like me. He says, be like me. God is a community. God is love. God is respect. God is, there's all this. And, and so when God says, be like me, we need to understand the Trinity because it is the very essence of who he is. That when we sing about, like songs like tonight, about our lives wanting to be a love song to him and, and that there is one, one great love and all because of that great love we're alive and we sing that stuff, it's important that we have a clue who we are singing to and who we are singing about. And it should just up the, the awesomeness level to know that we can understand it a little bit. 
just a glimpse. And so, there are uh, some different ways that, um, that this doctrine has been interpreted and misinterpreted over the years. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to take a few minutes and we're going to look at um, some of the beliefs that are out there related to the Trinity and, and, why, or, and how they're different, why that's important, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I want to begin, I, I want to look at, um, at a couple of uh, cults of religious movements, I mean, however, whatever label you want to put on them, um, where their belief of the Trinity and our belief of the Trinity are very different. However, um, through normal interaction, um, sometimes it can appear as though we're on the same page with them. Um, sometimes even uh, just in, in people who are a part of some of these things, even in their understanding, it's the same. Um, I, I taught high school a couple years ago, uh, well, many years ago, and uh, I keep acting like it was like last year, you know, like, yeah, dude, it was awesome, uh, it's 2000, um, and uh, I was in the, the teacher's lounge one day, which was, I went to the same school I taught at, so that was like, you know, the Holy of Holies, uh, not for good stuff, just for the mystery, you know, like you, you could, they had like this big giant door and it closed real quick when I was in school, and so you just see like a glimpse of it in there, you know, and you're like, whoa. What goes on in there? It's like, that's where they talk about us, right there. And that's what I thought in high school, and that's what I found out for a fact when I was teaching. Um, and so, uh, anyway, we're in the, in the this real, real quick side. We're, this, is, this is why I think it's important. In the teacher's lounge, there's a, a, a lady there, and she's talking to two other ladies, and I'm not talking to them because um, I'm pretty much an introvert socially, and if you ever bump to me in public and it gets weird, I apologize. just kind of how I am. And... Uh, and so I'm there, like, you know, checking the mail or making coffee or doing something, trying to get out of there as quick as I can. And she is uh, on this rant about how she's, I'm so sick and tired of people telling me that I'm not a Christian. And I was like, hmm, okay. Uh, so, you know, if only they had those uh, Bluetooth things back then that allows you to hear people's conversations. You seen the commercial? The girl's walking down the beach. The girl's like, oh, anyway. Um, What's wrong with me? Um, and so, uh, so I kind of start listening in, and she's like, I mean, she's like, I, I grew up in, like Methodist or something, and she's like, and I started dating this guy, and, in, and he was a Mormon, and so in order for us to get married, I had to become a Mormon, so I became a Mormon, and, but now all these people are coming after me, and they're saying, like, 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 that I'm not a Christian, and I keep trying to tell them, like, it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Jesus Christ is in the title it's the same. And so me being a jerk was like, uh, oh, yeah, did your parents enjoy your wedding? I know, what was wrong with me? And uh, she's like, well, they couldn't really come. I was like, oh, why couldn't they come? Because like, they're not Mormon. I was like, oh, so your parents can come to your own wedding? Because they're, like, they're not allowed in the building? Because you, man. My church don't have those rules, you know. <laughs> so it's the same thing. And I was like, I got out of here before I get fired or something. And, um, but that's, that's the thing, is that here, here she was fully believing it was the same because it had Jesus Christ in the title. And here she was telling other people that it was the same because it had Jesus Christ in the title. And those teachers are like, mm-hmm, girl, yeah, absolutely, uh-huh. <laughs> and maybe they believed me. I mean, maybe they believed her, and maybe they didn't. You know, I mean, I don't know that... I was kind of not a lot, you know, like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but it is really, really important that, one, you don't handle it like I did, <laughs> okay? And two, that we, we keep this, this in mind, okay? Um, one, of the, one of the most common things about the human experience is this. Um, everywhere you go, all around the world, people believe lies. People believe lies. To the point that it shapes the way that they think and the way that they act and the decisions that they make and the, the life course that they put themselves on. And sometimes the lies are, are more emotional, you know. You have, you have a parent who talks down to you all the time and tells you that you're no good and you're never going to amount to anything and it shapes something in you and that lie takes root and all of a sudden that lie becomes truth for you. 
you know? Some, sometimes you just you walk through painful experiences so much and, and you think there, there is no loving God because he would not let me hurt like this. And it takes root and it becomes the truth that your life is built on. Sometimes it's, about, it, it's a relational thing. You know, sometimes people will, will tell you, um, nobody's ever going to want to be your friend because of your personality, you know. Some of you have parents who hound you about your singleness so much that you believe either what they're telling you or what the things they're telling you imply about you is that you're incomplete unless you have a spouse. Some of you who are married used to be that way, and now you have all this security in the wrong thing, the fact that you're married. Or if you are married and your parents are putting heat on you to give them some grandkids and you think, I'm not complete until like, this part happens or, or until, um, until I own, own my own car or I buy a house or, I, you know, or until I get this job. Or, there's all these lies, and that is so much of what, of what the, the ring has been led to deal with is, is let's let Jesus get down to those lies and, say, and put his finger on it and say, you are believing this to the point where this has become truth for you. Now let me remove that and let me replace it with my truth. And that's so much of, of the gospel that we talk about here and we, we, we push that and that's what we, we try to get down to in our community groups. If people will just open up and that's what we try to do on Sunday nights and, and all that kind of stuff. There, there's a, are many, many other lies out there that people are, have, are believing. And so we have friends and coworkers and family members and acquaintances Maybe, they're, maybe the lie that, that is, has put them on a destructive path is not emotional. Maybe it's not a relational thing. Maybe it's not from their parents that they were told. Maybe it has nothing to do with work or possessions or whatever. Maybe it comes down to something like a bad interpretation of the Trinity. And they have been lied to. And the challenge for us is to love them enough to not let them walk in that lie anymore. If I have a, a friend who is married and their spouse is cheating on them and I know it, I'm not going to stand by and watch them get lied to. I don't know how I'm going to handle that, but I, I know I can't just sit back and do nothing. And so it's that balance of speaking the truth but doing it in love. And see, I've messed up there so much because I either do one or the other too much. I either speak truth with no love or I just love them so much that I just pretend like there's no truth to even drop into their lives. And so it's about knowing, first of all, that God loves everyone so much that he wants to take that lie out and replace it with his truth. And because he feels that way, we begin to be shaped into feeling that way. And you bring alongside that being equipped by the scriptures and by one another and by church and whoever, being equipped with truth enough to be able to say, look, I love you so much, but I got, I got to tell you, I disagree with this. And you know what happens? I firmly believe this, that as we speak the truth into their lives, God does something. It's not by sitting there, it's not about arguing, it's not about winning, it's not about proving them wrong. It's not about, you know, it's, this is not a, the new crusades where we go and we just kill everybody who doesn't believe like us. It has nothing to do with that. Let's just simply speak truth into people's lives. And if the walls go up, the walls go up. If they come at you, hey, okay. Speak the truth lovingly. And that's what I want to do right now. And so I don't want you to hear me what I'm about to say as picking on Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or United Pentecostals or people who think that a shamrock is the best way to teach about the Trinity or whatever, um, it's, not a, it's not about picking on them. It's about distinguishing between what we believe as Christians to be truth and what we believe as Christians to be lies. All right? Now, let's, let's, let's start with the Mormon church, okay? The Mormon church and the, and, and the Trinity, uh, we could not be a, at a greater disagreement, okay? Um, Mormons, uh, Mormons believe uh, very simply that there are many gods. So the first part of that statement 
Nathan, if you could just put that statement up and just leave it, because I'm just going to refer back to it. Um, right off the bat, Mormon church and us at odds. Okay, we believe there's one true God. They believe that there are many gods. And so right there, you say, for someone to say, no, it's the same as Jesus Christ in the title. I'm like, uh-uh. No. You want to believe that, okay, but don't say that they're the same. All right, they believe that there are many gods, and just kind of in a nutshell, as, as best as I can explain this, um, they believe that, it, that if you become a Mormon and you give the proper amount to the Mormon church and, and you uh, do a certain amount of good works and you do a certain number of things, that when you die, you're going to go to one of three levels of heaven. And if you go to the highest one and um, you have the proper approval from the Mormon authorities and literally there is a secret handshake not making it up. There's a secret handshake that you learn so that when you die, in theory, you go and you meet God, you do the secret handshake with Him, and you get to become God just like He is. And then you get to go off and you get to start your own planet and populate it however you want. And so you and your wife go, and when she dies, you join together, and you get to populate your own, uh, you get to just create your own world, basically. And that's how Mormonism spreads. Um, and so they believe that uh, to them, whenever they are talking about God, that God was at one time a man who lived on another planet, who was a good Mormon, who gave the right amount of money, who jumped through all the right hoops, who learned the handshake, who went and met his God, and God approved him, and he came over, he created the earth, and you know, there you go. Now, that's really different than Christianity. Really, really different. And so we all have to, to understand that here's the, here's the Trinity, fundamentally, what it means to be Christian, and this is what the Mormons believe, two completely different things. Another way that they disagree is they believe that Jesus was uh, created. They believe that, that God and his wife left the other planet, came started this new planet, and they, uh, they have physical bodies. They began having children, but the children that were born were spirits, okay, and uh, Jesus was the first spirit baby that they had. And um, so, then you, so there's a disagreement because we believe he's existed from the beginning and they believe that he was created at a certain point in time. Um, interestingly enough, the second baby, you know who the second baby was? A little boy named Lucifer. And then you know who the next babies were after that? You and me. And so they have all these spirit babies and then when you're born... Uh, you forget the fact that you existed ahead of time. You're born, you live your life, and, uh, and that's how it goes. And that Jesus came up with a plan because sin messed everything up. Jesus came up with a plan, and Lucifer came up with a plan, and God went with, with uh, Jesus' plan, and Lucifer didn't like that, and that's how like, good and evil came to fight each other and all that kind of stuff. And, and so lots of disagreements about that. Um, lots of stuff I could get into that just is just so different, and it's just fascinating to me. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, like, you want to know where, where we part company? If you ever get in a conversation with someone and, and they say, oh, I'm, you're Christian? Cool, I'm Mormon. Awesome. High five. Same team. And you can be like, no, no, no. And if they want to say, why do you say we disagree? You go right to, this, right to this doctrine. You say, I, as a Christian, believe there's one true God, and you believe that there are many. And you're hoping that one day you get to become one. There you go. And they explain that away, and you can say, all right, let's talk about Jesus. Do you think he was created? And they'll say, uh, yeah. And you say, see, I, I, think, I don't think he was created. I think he's always existed. So that allows two things to happen. One, truth goes to them. Two, you are affirmed in what you believe. Okay? Now, let's go, let's go to another one. Um, the uh, United Pentecostal Church, okay? Um, sometimes it's called oneness. Uh, oneness Pentecostal or Jesus-only Pentecostal. Um, they believe that, uh, that Jesus is God, okay, so do we, but that um, when you, but, but the, he's the only God, and that basically uh, he has played different roles throughout time, and so in the Old Testament, he was God the Father, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, he, he played the role of Jesus, and then uh, in Acts, and until now, he's played the role of the Holy Spirit, that instead of there being three distinct persons of God, that there is one God who just plays different roles at different times. Okay, That's something you may hear people call it modalism or Sabellianism, if you want to get real fancy. But, but that idea that, that um, 
that no, no, it's, it's one God. He just like, plays different roles at different times when he feels like it and whatever. But he's always, it's one dude moving in and out of these different roles. Okay? That's where we would disagree. Um, and it's uh, uh, pretty much just that. Jehovah's Witnesses, um, here's one that, that is, is real interesting. They don't believe that there is a trinity at all. They believe that there is just one God. Um, and so they believe that it was God the Father and that um, he created uh, Michael the archangel. And then through Michael the archangel, um, everything else was made. And so they think one God, and he creates his right-hand man, Michael the archangel, and then Michael creates all this stuff. And then the same kind of deal, sin entered the world, everything got messed up. Um, but that Michael the archangel became Jesus to go and help fix everything. And there's a lot of other disagreements, but there again, it goes back to the Trinity of Jesus being created instead of eternally existing. And here's this Michael the archangel being like, well, I'm just going to go play the role of Jesus. And so someone as Jehovah's Witness comes and they hand you literature or whatever, and you can look at it, they don't even hide that stuff. That's what they believe. They don't believe that Jesus was God. They believe um, that he was the angel, that he was created by God and, and you know, whatnot. I believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, um, that, uh, that there's no deity there, there's no uh, personhood there, you know, whatever. And so again, you get in a conversation or, or just whatever, um, we have to, to understand that, uh, that they have eternally existed and that they are all fully and equally God. Now, that's important to us. Now, it's just not just about being able to articulate that and, and speak that to people or whatever. It's about our own understanding. So, so you have to test yourself and your understanding of the Trinity. You take what I just said about Jehovah's Witnesses and make sure that you understand what you believe enough to see why those things are different. To understand that Jesus was not created. He's always existed. That the, the Spirit is not a force. The Spirit is a person. So sometimes by studying what is counterfeit, we understand better what is true. Now, I asked you last week, you know, I just kind of threw this out. So we're going to look at a couple of illustrations that are sometimes used. And, and I'm not attacking these, okay? I don't want to attack Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, United Pentecostal Church. That's not what it's about. I believe that, that these, some of these illustrations are good because they, uh, they maybe teach maybe the first couple of steps of, like, understanding that there's more going on than meets the eye, okay? But at the same time, they kind of fall short. And so let's kind of test our knowledge. Let's, let's do the shamrock first, Nate. Um, that's a high-def uh, shamrock right there. Um, it's so high-def, it looks blurry. Uh, it's weird. Um, so there's a, there's a three-leaf clover, and sometimes people say, well, God's like, a, you know, like this. And there's, the, there's the, the Father and the Son, and there's the Spirit. And so you can understand there's like three parts that make up the one shamrock. You don't say, hey, here's a three-leaf weed. <laughs> um, you say, here's a shamrock. So you call it one thing, but it's made up by three parts. And, and I guess that, that at a very elementary level, that communicates some stuff. But it falls short as well, and, and here's, here's one reason why. If you were to break one of those off, you would not call that a shamrock anymore. You would call it mulch or <laughs> something else. See, the, the, the part doesn't equal the whole. In the Trinity, each of the persons are equal to the whole. Does that make sense? So you can take the Father, and that's God. He's the Father, and He's God. The Son and, and He's God. It's the Spirit and He's God. You can't do that with a shamrock. You pluck one of them off, and it becomes evident that the part does not equal the whole. All right? Let's do another one. Let's, let's do the egg. Uh, that's the flux capacitor. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right, so th this is another thing. Sorry. It's daylight savings. I'm not adjusted yet. Uh, the, um, the egg is sometimes used uh, to help communicate stuff. You have one egg, but the egg is made up of different parts. 
uh, you have the yolk and you have the egg whites and you have the shell. And so, uh, but, you know, you don't really distinguish between them um, with an egg. You just call it an egg. So it's one, but it's, there's three parts that make it up. Um, and you have the same problem here as you do with the shamrock, that the, the parts don't equal the whole. You would not want to wake up and someone serve you. You wouldn't want to go to Louie's and be like, oh, I'll have some scrambled eggshell. Uh, yeah, really. Exactly. They're not the same, you know. The part doesn't equal the whole. And so while it does communicate something cool about unity yet distinction, it falls short because, it, because there's not full equality there when it comes to God. Okay? So let's do another. Let's do the tree. Boom. Look at that. Okay. Um, sometimes people will use this. Uh, they'll say, God's like a tree. There's the, uh, there's the branches and there's the trunk and then there's the roots. Um, and so, uh, you know, say, that's, that's, that's like the Trinity. And you have the same problem. After Gustav and all these treetops came down, you have this big trunk there, and you're like, what a beautiful tree. Like, no, it's a trunk. Again, the parts don't equal the whole. Who wants a big trunk, <laughs> you know? We grind up stumps to get them flat, but there's a whole root system down there. We're not like, come see my awesome tree. It's below ground. <laughs> you don't do that. Now, all these are, are, are kind of this, the same argument, okay? That, that, and we have to understand it, that the, the Spirit is God. The part equals the whole. And so in these things, they fall short um, because of that. Um, let's, do, uh, let's do another one. Let's do the, the three forms of water, um, which there's no picture for that, I don't think. Um, that sometimes people will say, you know, the Trinity is like, like water. It's either a solid or a liquid or a gas. You know, it's either ice or it's liquid water or it's, you know, steam or whatever. Now, the problem with that, you're like, okay, I, I can see that. It's the same thing and, you know, whatever. But the problem is that none of, there's no quantity of water that exists in all three forms at the same time. And so that's the thing about God is that while there's distinction there, there's unity and, and there's coexistence constantly. That's one of the things about United Pentecostals is they, they look at the Bible and they, they just see God the Father moving in the Old Testament and then Jesus in the Gospels and then the Holy Spirit. And so it's just what they see, but they were all there all the time. And so some of the questions I got this week, uh, one of them broke pretty consistently was like, so what was the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament? Um, because we don't really see him until the book of Acts. Like, so what was he doing? He was like hanging out? Was he just hovering, you know, still? Um, and yeah, he was there. He was sustaining the presence of God in all things. He was, uh, think about this, he was inspiring the Old Testament writers. He was telling Moses what to write. He was helping Daniel interpret dreams. He was convicting David of his sin with Bathsheba. So he's there. It may not say, you know, the Holy Spirit then entered the room and, you know, whatever. It's different than in the New Testament, but he's there. They've all always existed. And then Old Testament, Jesus exists too. Jesus is still carrying out the will of the Father. And so that's the thing is they have to all exist. So you don't have a form of water that exists in all three forms at the same time. Plus, you could probably get into, like, scientific differences and stuff like that, but ooey on science, right? Um, just <laughs> understand that, that, that that's, like, kind of, the, kind of the big rub there. Now, you take the egg, the shamrock, the tree, and the water, and one of the biggest glaring things is that those things are all impersonal. There's no personality there, right? Shamrock has no thoughts, feelings, and don't act, you know, whatever. Now, there is one more that I want to talk about real quick before I kind of bring this deal to a close. And it's the fact that sometimes people will, will use the example of, um, let's say, take a man who is, uh, he's an attorney and uh, he's an elder at his church and he is a husband. Okay? Kyle Hawthorne. John Ringo pretty soon when he passes the bar. Um, you take a, take a, a person and, and you say, there's one guy who, um, who has these three different responsibilities there. And that 
communicates some good stuff to a point. But it lacks the distinction of each one. Because that would be, what you're saying is that, um, that they're all the same, but the Trinity, there's distinction. See, the, the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. And so with Kyle or with John, um, them, they would, there would have to be distinction between John the man as a lawyer and John the man as a husband and John the man as an elder. But what that argument is saying is that there isn't. And within the Trinity, there is distinction among them. So, I don't know, like, you, you, it kind of brings you to a point where you're like, okay, there's got to be something. There's got to be some way for us to better understand the Trinity and some kind of illustration or whatever. You know what? I read this the other day, that the Bible is full, full of illustrations to help us understand God. You know? So God is my rock and my redeemer. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord surrounds and protects us like the mountains surround Jerusalem. I mean, the Bible's full of those kinds of things. But the Bible has not one mention of the Trinity. I think that's pretty awesome. That God is, is so completely other than us that you can't even have an analogy that completely communicates it. That everything we come up with, you could poke holes in it. That he's that indescribable. I'm not saying that when, you're, you know, when your young child begins to ask questions about the Trinity, I'm not saying that taking out an egg and explaining it is a bad thing. I think it teaches some fundamental things, but there comes a point where it comes up short. And so, okay, so why, why would we go through all that stuff? Why would we talk about Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses? Why would we talk about that and shamrocks and whatever? One, I hope that even just by talking about it and pointing out some of those errors, that it helps maybe put some more pieces of the puzzle into place. Understand that, that, that the part has to equal the whole. And that all three have to exist all, all the time, just constantly. But yet there's distinction in there at the same time. And that Jesus being a created being, that's a big deal. The Holy Spirit being a force and not a person, that's a big deal. God being the only, the only God instead of one of many, that's a big deal. And so I hope two things happen. One, I hope you feel maybe a little... I don't know, a little bit more equipped to be able to communicate some of this stuff. But more important than that, I hope that you come away from these three weeks being like, you know what, I think I, I, think I understand the Trinity a little bit better. I know I, initially I talked about the shack, and I started reading this book called The Shack, and it's about the Trinity. It's about a, a man who is grieving, and it's about how God um, helps him through that. And the way that the dude tells the story, it's not an actual story, it's fiction, but is he goes to a, conversa- uh, to a, a shack and he has uh, a conversation with the Trinity and whatever. And I started reading it and I just, I'll be honest with you, I've just been kind of jammed up and just hadn't, hadn't finished it. And I'm not putting the book down or whatever. It's come under great attack and it has been highly exalted at the same time. Um, I just hope that, that we are getting equipped well enough to be able to read something like the shack and to be able to... Um, Chew on the meat and spit out the bone, as uh, someone told me the other day. That you can read that, and, and it can communicate some things to you, but you also know enough about the Trinity to be like, okay, this statement, I don't, that's not right. Because there are statements in there, and I've come across them, that are not right. But there are statements in there that are right. We have to be able to distinguish them. Now, let me just let me close up this part by saying this. And I know this is long. I'm sorry. But I think it's important. See, the lies that we have been told and we have started to believe, the, the truth is the solution to every one of those lies. It doesn't matter if it's emotional or physical. Or any of that stuff I talked about. The truth is, that's how you trump that. That's how you fix that. And so the truth is important. And we have to understand that 
the Trinity directly affects our lives every day, all the time, beginning with the fact that apart from the Trinity, we would not be saved. And here's, here's what I mean. You have a Father and Son and Spirit who love one another, who are fully equal, and who, are, who have a, a plan. The plan was uh, they not needing us because they love one another, they have a community, they wanted... God looked and said, glory is going to come my way. I'm going to make this creation where everything is going to glorify me. And what's awesome is that right now, there are azalea bushes out there who are glorifying the Lord because they are doing what they are created to do. There's no sin, there's no problem, there's no whatever. They're doing it. The Grand Canyon, absolutely, is getting it done. Um, there are all God's creation, that was the whole point, and that's why he made humanity except sin entered the picture and messed everything up. Now, it takes a trinity that is one yet three distinct persons that eternally existed who are all fully and equally God to accomplish what I'm about to tell you. Um, sin messed everything up for humans. So it takes an all-loving trinity, a perfectly uh, compassionate and holy Trinitarian God to look at this situation and say, we're going to fix this. And you have a father who has a vision for how it's going to happen and has a heart to see it happen and has a heart to see it happen so much that he would look to the son and he would say, I need you to leave here and go down there and become one of them because I have a plan to redeem them. But it's going to take a substitute. It's going to take someone who can walk the earth and live the absolute perfect life with no sin. Then we're going to take all their sins and we're going to put them on that substitute. And that substitute is going to become the, bull, the, the target for every bit of wrath that we have against sin. And Jesus says, okay, let's do it. And he leaves heaven and he comes to earth and he does that. And, he, and so here's, he leaves heaven, walks the earth, and is loved and hated. He's worshipped and he is absolutely mocked. takes perfect deity to be able to make it to age 33. It takes perfect deity to be able to um, get up on that cross. And I mean, physical stuff, everybody, they kill people all the time by crucifixion. It took perfect deity to be able to endure all the wrath, to be able to be separated for the first time from the Father, to have, for the first time in his existence, be guilty. It took perfect deity to be able to do that. And to be able to endure the wrath enough to where once it is satisfied, he made it. It didn't obliterate him. And it took the power of the Spirit and perfect and full deity and an equality with the rest of the Trinity to go and to bring him back to life. But, but more than that, to come into your heart and to bring you back to life. To have a God who says, you know what, I know these people have spit in my face and they have rejected me and they have chosen themselves and they have rebelled and I am the only one worthy if they continue to do it. But you know what? Because we are perfect love and because we are unified, it takes the full deity of that spirit to get a hold of your life and to whisper into your heart that God loves you and there's more life than this and to bring you into a relationship with him. It takes the full deity of the Father to have the plan, the full deity of the Son to obey and to go and to get it done fully. It takes the full deity of the Spirit to be able to apply it to scrubs like you and like me. Early church fathers, they're trying to communicate all this stuff. And one of the terms that they use is where we get our word choreographed from. That's something that's become a common way of talking about it, is that here's this Trinitarian God, perfect community, perfect love, perfect harmony, and God invites us into the dance with them. And I like that a lot. Without one true God who, is, who eternally exists in three distinct persons who are all fully and equally God, you and I would not be saved. Now, you may be here tonight, and that might just instill in you just 
you might just love that. And you're like, I just want to respond to that. I want to sing right now. And you may be here tonight, and you may not have a clue where you stand with him. And I'm telling you this. This is, the, this, is, this is the truth. And you let this truth replace whatever lie has been told to you. God invites you to dance with him. That spirit is pointing you to Jesus and saying that's the way to the Father. By the Spirit, through the Son, to the glory of the Father. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a little bit. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk just a little bit more. I promise you to be short. I know I always say that. but Here's what, what I want you to do. If you're a Christian, I want you to just respond in the most sincere way that you can. Maybe you need to listen to some of these songs. Maybe you need to sing them. Maybe you need to just pray and thank God because it's been a long time since you thanked him for that Trinitarian love showing up and asking you to dance. If you are not at one with him, I just want, I just want you to just talk to him. Maybe you also need to listen to the songs. Maybe you also need to sing along a little bit. Maybe you just need to pray and that's between you and him. And then afterwards tonight, if you've got questions, there are plenty of people who would love to talk to you some more. We're not going to force you down an aisle or make you repeat a prayer. Because that's the most important dance invitation, so to speak, that you're ever going to get. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to kind of move into that time. Let's, let's just soak it up. Let me, let me pray. Father, we love you. And we know that you love us. And we know that because you created us. You formed us in your very image. And that means that what you've made is good. And we are honored that you ask us to be one with you that you invite us into your unity, into that relationship, that you invite us into the dance. And God, we just want to respond to that in whatever ways, um, whatever ways seem normal and fit. And so God, uh, for those tonight, um, those of us here tonight, God, who need to respond, which is all of us, I pray that you enable us to do that. We're just going to sit in silence for a few minutes. and We thank you for your presence, God.